What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Warrior Soul Podcast. This is Chris Albert, and this is where we deliver tools, tactics, strategies, and ideas to help the U.S. military veteran community and anybody else willing to listen to live their absolute best lives. And uh, today's an awesome day because I've got one of my oldest friends in the world on the podcast with me today, Mr. Mike Curlin. Mike and I grew up in a little town called Norwalk, Connecticut. Uh, we've known each other since first grade. We lived together for different periods of our lives. Uh, so he knows more about me than any living human being should. Uh, I'll just say that. And then, um, uh, but Mike's gone on and he's done some amazing things. You know, um, he's, he's started his own company. He's out, he moved across the country to freaking California and like completely like built this awesome company. He'll talk about that a bit. Um, but not a lot of people move out to California and actually come out successful. I was the opposite. <laughs> so uh, I got a lot of respect for Mike and, and everything he's done. Mike, man, welcome to the, welcome to the Warrior Soul podcast, brother. Christopher, Brian, Albert, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's a pleasure and an honor. Dude. So, um, you know, I was, uh, I, I meant what I said there. I've got an immense amount of respect for you. Um, mainly because I saw you go through a divorce at the time. And then, you know, you were working in one job and then you kind of threw the gloves off and you said, screw this. I'm going to do my own thing. You moved out to California. You started a company called the Branded Group. And the company's like literally taken off, man. That, that, that's absolutely amazing. And I, I, I know I tell you this in, in private, but I want to tell you here, I'm so proud of you. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Uh, so, so to your point, I was uh, I was working the job similar to what Branded Group does. It's a facility management company. I was living in Long Island, New York. I was like 50 pounds heavier. Uh, and I was going through uh, a, a loveless, you know, divorce. We were, we, we should have never got married, but you know, you, when you're in your late twenties, early thirties, you do what everyone else is doing and, and follow, follow the leader, I guess. And so I, I got married to a woman I shouldn't have. And, uh, that ended poorly. And, um, yeah, so I was going through the divorce, working for the company and, and they, uh, they terminated me at the end of 2013. Uh, not because I was, um, doing a bad job, but because I was actually doing a really good job. And so I moved, I had a lot of clients out in California and, I was living in, like I said, Long Island, and I, I was like, I can do this better than they're doing it currently. And so I, I, I was like, you know, I'm going to take a big swing. And uh, I sold my house. And that was where I got all the money to start my company. Uh, that was like one of the things I kept in the divorce. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I literally <laughs> packed up my car, drove across country with like three of my buddies, four, well, it was like four of my buddies. It was two of my buddies and two of my, one of my buddies' buddies, but we all became friends by the end of it. And uh, we got to California and set up shop in Orange, California, and uh, resided in Newport Beach, California. And you know that was almost eight years ago. Yeah, and we've we've grown we've grown immensely ever since. So yeah, man, it's uh, it's been quite the journey. And I gotta say, you were you were like the inspiration because you did that way before me. You just you just took your gloves off. You know, you you were living. I remember we were living together, and you were working for. Uh, one of the congressmen in Connecticut and you were 
you know, you're, you, you had had a relationship that had just ended and you, I think you were, were you working? Did you start working at the bank and you were like, I can't do this. And that's, yeah. yeah, yeah. You started working at the bank and you were in there like management training program. And I think you did a 30 days and you're like, I'm not doing this anymore. No. And dude, so you were my inspiration because you, you took the bull by the horns early and you, you really went, you know, you've always been an inspiration to me because you've always been fearless. Like when you joined the Marines, like, honestly, that's something I don't think I could have ever done. I don't have the discipline and I'm all, you know, I'm not, I don't like getting yelled at. So <laughs> I don't know if I could have done that, but you did that and you traveled around the world and you came back and then you moved out to California with just hopes and dreams, right? You didn't have anybody yeah. out there. So. Yeah. When I moved out, like I did like the classic, like, okay, I'm going to go out. I always wanted to like live on the beach and be a bodybuilder. And, and I did that, you know what I mean? It was hard. It was difficult. I started a gym, but like, that was a hard thing, but, but the way you did it. And like, one of the things I've always admired about you is your ability to communicate and rally people and get people over to your side, get people over to your team. And you know, if, if there's one thing I noticed about you, I just came back, I went to your wedding a few weeks ago, you know, the, the, the network you've built up out there, the, the people you've surrounded yourself with, how important was that in, in building what you currently have? Cause you know, eight years is not a long time and you've built this, this awesome, awesome company. How, how did, how important was that? Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a great question. And I, I think it's a two-part question because when I first moved out here, you know, one of my other great skills that I got from my father is my work ethic. And I was, you know, you might be smarter, faster, and stronger than me, but I will work harder than you. And so I, I got out here and like me and I came out here with uh, my business partner, one of my business partners, Kira, and we, it was just me and her for the first six months. And it was, you know, 12, 13 hour days. And it was, you know, building furniture in the office when we were getting our first office off the ground and, you know, putting, putting chairs together and then taking emergency phone calls at two o'clock in the morning to, to make things work. So I I'm, I'm kind of being long-winded here, but to answer your question for, from a work point of view, it was very important because everyone I knew in this world that could do the job that I needed to hire people to do lived in New York or, or somewhere close to New York. I didn't know anyone out here to do that. So I had to build that network really quickly between myself and Kira, hiring people and finding people that could do, it's a very niche industry. It's not, it's not like, you know, going down and a skill set, you can have a skill set that translate, translates. You, you have to really, you know, be a certain type of person to want to do this job. So, so for that, that was very important and, and, and tough to do first and to build the network of friends. I didn't even have a friend until probably year year two, you know, the first year Kira met her now husband and he was kind of both of our, our first friends. But, uh, you know, until after, after that, it took me a while. And I actually started playing like intramural flag football on the sand, which I, anyone out there that lives in California, that's looking for friends play flag football on the beach. It's, it's a lot of fun, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it took me, it took me a really long time to, to build up that network. And I'll tell you, um, moving from, you know, Connecticut, Long Island to uh, California, that's a culture shock too. Yeah. You know, we, we used to go out in uh, jeans and, and, you know, black loafers and a, and a nice button down untucked with our, like our, our cuffs flipped up. Yeah. 
That, yeah. and, and that's what you did, right? You went out and, and you went to the bar in, in Norwalk or Long Island and you had a little bit more of an East Coast flair. I wore that to the bar like the first month I was here and I was like, oh my God, I stick out like a sore thumb. And no, <laughs> no, even if a girl five was cute, she was going to look at what I was wearing and say, what, what is this outfit? What is this guy wearing? So as much as I hated conforming, I conformed to California life real quick. And, and that, that, that was, that, that was a funny thing for me too, because my, my uh, fiance, she's, she still talks about this to this day. One of the first dates I brought her out on, we went to the beach and I wore that outfit. Like I had on a, it was like a, actually had a V-neck. I had jeans. I had black loafers on. I had like a chain, I think, and all that stuff. Uh-huh. She's like, she looked at me and she's like, we're, we're going to the beach. Why, why are you wearing that? And it just, I don't know. It, it was a huge culture shock, but like one of the things you said there was, you know, you, you did things like get out there and you did intramural for intramural football. You met people through, through, through doing activities like that, you know, and I, I know you, you've joined a, a, a couple of groups out there. You're, you're a member of an entrepreneurial group, um, you know, and, and one of the things I want to convey to the guys at home is, is, you know, you got to get out there and you got to do stuff. You're not going to meet people just sitting on your couch or, and, and you might meet people at the bar, but, but, and, and sure go out and socialize, but can't just be about that. Get out there and do productive things to surround yourself with productive people. Right. Yeah, totally. I spent, so the first year you bring up a good point. The first year I was here, uh, like, you know, I, I just mentioned earlier, I'd gone through a divorce and I'd gone through uh, being fired and, you know, whatever you want to say, like, you know, I started this company and all that stuff and being fired, I got fired for making too much money and I went through a divorce. I was okay, but all that stuff still affects your mental, right? Like I still was, I still was like trying to rebuild myself. And so I got out here and I spent a lot of time. I spent the first year learning how to love myself, right? And that was the biggest thing that I think changed my life. I read a book called You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. So for your audience out there, if you if you're looking for some sort of a health self-help starter book, I really highly recommend that because she gives she makes it very uh, easy to digest. It's not, you know, she talks about, you know, believing in God, but it's whatever God you believe in, right? You can be she's not like you got to believe in the Christian God or the Catholic God or the Jewish God or the Muslim God. It's just like believe in a higher power than yourself, right? Because if you think that you're where, you know, you're the, you're the end of the line, then you, you probably got a lot more soul searching to do. Right. So she talks about things like that. So anyway, I, I digress. So I spent a whole year just doing self-help stuff, meditating and doing t- a ton of yoga. And I spent a lot of time. I learned how to be by myself because up until that point, I was scared shitless to be by myself. Yeah. And I would mask that scared shitless by going to the bar and, and drinking, but that's not, a, that's not a good escape. And don't get me wrong. I still go and have a, you know, a night at the bar with my buddies, but, but I spent time taking myself out on dates by myself. I learned how to eat at a restaurant by myself. I learned how to uh, go to a movie by myself. I learned how to, um, you know, I spent Christmas by myself one year and, and I learned that it was okay. And it was okay to be alone with myself and started loving myself. So anyway, once I figured out how to do that, then that's when I was like, okay, it's been a year and I have like 0.5 of a friend because it's my partner's boyfriend, right? So I decided they're not going to organically just pop up on my couch. I try to go to the gym, but I'm not, I actually am the guy that like, I don't want to be bothered at the gym. I just want to do my 
my thing and like get out. And I never want to talk to a girl at a gym because I feel like it's the creepiest thing you can do. It's like, hey, <laughs> hey, uh, can I help you with that? No, you can't. Go get, leave me alone, right? I'm sure that's what they're thinking. So I was I was not a good and for as much as you say I can I have the ability to talk to people and, and rally people. Just the gym, like I'm I'm the total opposite guy. I'm antisocial. So I was like, I got to figure this out. So I found an intramural sports league and I, and I signed up and I was playing flag football and we'd go out on Saturday mornings and we'd throw the, you know, throw it around. And I was probably 34 or 35 at the time. And I'm playing with like 23 year old kids who are bigger, stronger, faster than me, but they all liked me because I was a gregarious guy. And they, they and then, you know, I had a little bit of a social network and then I did some inter, intermeal bowling. And then as I met these people, I started, you know, getting into more and more things that I liked hiking and wine tasting and then started really you know honing in on people that i clicked with that were my age and now you know it's eight years later and i got about five or six a group of five or six guys that are all within my age range and we all we are just great pals so i don't know if that that was a little long-winded but i know that's that's awesome i i think it's you know we focus so much on you know all right Step one, you know, come up with a business idea. Step two, uh, you know, file for an LLC and things like that. But it, it's really people that make the world go round. And it's it's really having people in your life that's actually going to, to do this. And, you know, I think we can't emphasize this point enough. You can't do things by yourself. You need people in your life. And, and you know, I'm the most anti-social person in the world. Like I was also one of those people too, who, who couldn't be by myself. I mean, that led to a lot of problems for me with alcohol, with women, with, with all types of shit. And, and I think that, you know, you need to learn how to bring people into your life, but bring people into a manner where it's going to be positive and not people who are going to bring you down, not people who are going to tear you apart because, you know, we could also talk about where we come from and, and, you know, uh, you know, Mike and I have lost a, a, a good number of friends since high school to drugs, um, uh, two of them very recently. And, you know, we came from an environment and lived in an environment where we were drinking like, you know, a, a lot, you know, probably six, seven nights a week. And, and you know, I, I, I don't know that we developed problems as bad as some of the people we're hanging out with, but it was still a problem. And, and we were able to get out of that through skills like this. Right. Totally. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. I mean, like when, when you think back to those days when we were, you know, living in Norwalk and, and, and kind of partying all the time, why do you think, why do you think, that was the case with our group of friends. Why were, were we so. Oh, I think, I mean, I think we came from, you know, I think we came from all of us a little bit different backgrounds, right? Like you didn't know your father growing up, you know, John barely knew his father growing up. Um, I'm trying to think who else, you know, Jed, I mean, Jed, Jed, I think, I think his was just a, being the the youngest child and having to like live up to his his brother and sister's uh you know shadow i had i was a f- kid of an I grew up in an alcoholic family um you know and i think i think everyone just had kind of whatever their issue were and we grew up in this 
very middle-class town that was very mixed race. And I think it was honestly a great upbringing in terms of like, you know, getting to know a little bit of everybody. Um, But I think there was a lot of, you know, single mothers that were scraping by and there was a lot of people that were, you know, not, they didn't, they didn't, you know, they didn't have everything. So what did we do when we we were a little bit, we were mischief, we were mischievous kids and we got, you know, we got into like drinking and then we got into, you know, we got into the marijuana really early. And and I think that was, uh, I think that was probably the the catalyst because that was so prevalent amongst everyone in Norwalk at that time. And you had to make a choice at a young age, if you were an athlete or not. Right. And so you had been an athlete, John had been an athlete, but you both got hurt and Mario had been an athlete and you guys all got hurt and you couldn't continue. Right. So you couldn't really finish. You did you, you didn't, you didn't play senior ball, right. Cause you tore your knee. Or no, down. no. Yeah. I was yeah. recovering and trying to get a waiver to get into the military. Yeah. You guys had all, all three of you tore your knees up. If I recall correctly in your you know, sophomore or junior years. And then you were just done. Right. And so mm-hmm. you didn't have to be an athlete anymore. And all the guys who are athletes, you know, they had to be somewhere and they, they mostly stayed away from it. Right. But so I don't know, man, I think, I just think it was like a socioeconomic thing of what Norwalk was. And I think it was also like the mid to late nineties where hip hop was, you know, very prevalent in the up and coming, um, mm-hmm. Uh, music and I think that it glorified smoking marijuana and drinking, you know, forties. And we tried to emulate that lifestyle because we thought we were cool little shits, yeah. and we were we were probably not as cool as we were. But uh, the, one of the reasons I bring this up is because you know in the veteran community, drugs and alcohol are are a big deal. You know, there's yeah. a lot of a lot of veterans I talk to who don't believe that they can get by without drinking a few beers every night. Because it's an escape though, right? It's an escape from reality. And I think you made a good point earlier and I'm sorry that I'm circling back on this, but you were talking about, uh, you know, don't, you know, don't go to the bar, right. If you're looking for something to do, cause you're going to, you're not going to meet good people at the bar. You're going to, you're going to find trouble there. Right. Like at the end of the day, I've got, as I've gotten older, I'm 42 years old now. um, I say, I've I've got a saying that used to be nothing good happens after 2am because we used to, Mm -hmm. we used to close the bars down in Connecticut and then we would go to, New York. And I mean, dude, the fact that me and you are still like alive and, and well, after some of the nights that we had going to New York, I had to stop that because nothing good was happening yeah. after 2 a.m. And then I moved out here, dude, and the bars, bars close at two here as well. And I would be out at 12 and, and I, I was like, what, what, what good is happening after 12? Like nothing good is happening after 12. I'm so old now though. My, my saying is nothing good happens after 10 p.m. <laughs> so, so i'm yeah, 9 p.m no, I'm, yeah. 9 p.m. Oh, yeah. I'm asleep by nine but if i'm out past nine i'm like oh my god when did yeah like, this, exactly. this turn so i used to be up until 5 a.m now i don't even make it to 10 p.m so let me ask you this um you know a lot of guys i mean you're college educated a lot of guys at home are trying to figure out what they're going to do post-military career they're trying to decide whether they're going to go to college, whether they're going to go off and start a trade, whether they're going to go start working, things like that. Um, for business these days, what do you what do you think about a college degree? Um, and and if if it's not a college degree, what are what are some actions people could take to try to find business ideas that that you know they could work on and and try to take off? 
Well, I think college degrees, uh, if you've seen everything that's going on in the, um, in the world right now, we're trying to get this student loan forgiveness, you know, student students and, and colleges have become so commoditized and mm-hmm. it's almost like the mortgage industry in 2009. Like they just, it just keeps going up every year and no one's doing anything about it. And people just keep paying it and they take out these loans that takes them, you know, lucky for me, it took me a decade to pay my shit. Mm-hmm. And I had a scholarship and I busted my ass and had a good, at the end of that decade, I had a good enough job where I was making commission. So for most people, that's a 15-year commitment if you're lucky, right? Almost 20-year commitment to pay that off. That's that's a bill that's not going anywhere. So if you want to do something specialized, like be a lawyer, doctor, or something along those lines, absolutely. But if you're just trying to get a college degree to say you have a degree, I don't think it's as important as it used to be. Um, and some people may disagree with me, and that's fine. But I'll tell you what the thing that I would really say, throw yourself into if you're looking for something that you can make a career out of is trades. I work with tradesmen every day. I run a man, a facility management construction company, and there's a shortage of tradesmen right now because what happened with the push for when we were in our, in our teens going to college was everyone was pushing every student to go to college, mainly because of probably what we're talking about, you know, the commoditization of the students and they, they moved away from the trade schools. You can go become an HVAC technician in like 24 months, some programs even less, 18 months, and it costs $15,000, $20,000, and you can take student loans out for that. And then you can pay that. That stuff gets paid off in like three years. And you get a job making six figures at, at the end of your at the end of your, your term. You have to obviously pay your dues, right? You, get, you become a tradesman. And you pay your dues for three, five years. But after those three, five years, you are making six figures. And if you want to, you can start your own business. You have a ready-made business. Now, do I think it's smart to hire a business manager or take some business classes so you know Mm -hmm. the ins and outs of of running your own business? Absolutely. And I I think that's probably where the trade schools probably fall a little short is that they probably don't have something like that. And maybe they do, and and I'm wrong. but, But learning how to balance your books how to set up an LLC, what yeah. to do in, in those cases. But, but dude, I'm telling you like trades, the trade schools right now are dying for people to sign up and the industries in general, you got, you got 60 year old guys that are just working these longer uh, lives because like these longer careers, because they, they could retire, but there's right. such a high demand for them that they can charge enough money to keep doing what they're doing. And maybe they work four hours a day, maybe they only take one job and they're, but they're charging like a time and a half, you know, what they normally would charge because there's such a demand for it. It's, it's insane. Yeah. And it's only getting worse. So I highly recommend your, your uh, veteran audience or anyone out there that's listening to really look into trade schools. I have a guy that he, he works for us uh, and he just, he's a, I want to say he's Navy reserve. And he just got activated for a year and we, we kept him on staff and he went and he was, he's a electrical engineer by trade. And he was up in Seattle working on like, I don't know, one of the, he said like one of the shipyard electrical, making sure something, the submarines or something, but yeah, but he's an electrical engineer by trade and he came back on, and anyway, he still works for us, but like he was telling me if you, you know, that's what he does. So he could have gone out and became an electrician if he wanted to. Yeah. No, that's, that, that's really awesome advice. I mean, yeah, I think at a minimum, you know, learning business-wise, you, you should know a bit about accounting. You should know a bit about marketing. Um, you should 
no leadership, what you learn in the military. I mean, like, right. that's, that's a really important factor. Um, but, you know, I think like you're so right about the demand for the trades. I mean, I'm in manufacturing right now and it's so hard to find machinists, qualified machinists. I mean, like they're, they're, they're able to make a killing these days. And uh, there's just a huge opportunity out there. Let me ask you this, Mike, if let's say you woke up tomorrow and you had to start at zero, um, what would you do? Like what, what would be the steps you would take to try to get back to where you are right now? Man, that's that's a crazy question. Um, and I'm actually listening to a, a book right now uh, by Javon McCormick, and it's called I Got There. And he's the CEO of Scribe Inc., Scribe Media, uh, which is Tucker Max's company. I'm pretty sure you know who Tucker Max is. Yep. So, um, yeah, man, uh, side note, listen to that guy's story, because that's basically what starting at zero and like fucking figuring it out is and, and becoming awesome. Um but if I just start at zero right now, I don't know, man. I think, I think I would go to trade school. To be completely honest, like if I, yeah. if I, I mean, I'm 42 years old. Like I have a skill set right now. So, but if I was like, if I had just gotten out of the military, I was, you know, 26, 27 years old, 28 years old. I would probably go to trade school, honestly, because you're not behind a desk. And I think that's something that's probably, I don't know. I, I know there's desk jobs in the military, right? But a lot of times, you guys are out in the field, like working with your hands, doing things. Is that correct? Is that a correct assumption? Depends on the job, but yeah, I mean, uh, out in the field or, you know, if you're infantry, you're, you're out in the field a whole lot. If you're in the combat arms, you're out in the field a whole lot. So, Um, I mean, what did you do when you were, you were, you said you were working on it on a ship too, right? You're doing ship. Yeah. Well, that was one of my deployments. I was infantry. So. Yeah. So you weren't behind a desk though, right? No, no. (laughs) So, let me ask you this then when you got when you got your first desk job how like daunting how much anxiety did you have like was it hard for you to transition or was it easy i don't know i like i'm just curious to be honest it's it's a different mentality because you know a lot of times when you you get your first desk job you're like okay you're sitting there and the first thought that comes to your mind is like what the fuck am I supposed to do? Like, right. <laughs> you know what? What, what am I mean, I doing? it was the same for me when I actually got a promotion too. I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed to do now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and that's, um, that's a constant battle. And I think, um, you know, some of us just aren't made to, to sit behind desks. I've, I've trained myself. I've, I've, I've learned, I've learned to learn, which is an important thing, right? Like, yeah, totally. I've, when I stepped into a leadership role at the company I'm at, I had to go out and I had to read everything I could about manufacturing and read everything I could about, about leading a company and, and accounting and all these other things. And I'd say, if, if you're looking for this type of career, one of the real things you need to learn how to do is be a self-learner, right? Yeah, you got to be curious, I think. You yeah. got to be curious and you got to be okay with failure. Um, you're not going to get it right every time. I think that's one of my biggest uh, skill sets is that I'm not afraid to make a decision. And if my decision's wrong, I'm okay with owning that wrong decision and then pivoting to get to the right decision as fast as possible. Yeah. So you got to make a lot of mistakes along the way. And I don't know, there, I'm sure there's some industries where you can't, right? Probably like an electrician, you can't make any mistakes, but mm-hmm. that's why you got, then I said, go to trade school, right? So <laughs> <laughs> what do you, uh, what do you look for when you are hiring people? Um, what do you, what, what types of people are you looking for? What, 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 uh, what are the skill sets or, or the personality types that stand out to you? Uh, I like organization, organized people. 
So our our main job is an op, is a facility management coordinator. And so what that means is you're basically a middleman on the phone, taking calls from our clients and or emails. And then, you know, it's like, uh, okay, our toilet's broken at our store in Philadelphia, right? So then you got to communicate to them like, hey, I got this, we're, we're working on it. So they know that they can take a deep breath because that's their biggest issue is that like, they got to get it fixed and move on to the next problem that they're trying to fix, right? Mm-hmm. So then we we then dispatch to a plumber in Philadelphia and say, "Hey, we got a toilet at you know the uh, the Apple Store in Philadelphia. We need you to come fix that toilet." Guy says, "Okay, we're coming tomorrow at two o'clock." Turn around and you tell you call back the Apple guy and you're like, "Hey, plumber's going to be there tomorrow at two o'clock," and then you call the store. So it's a lot of coordination, it's a lot of organization, and a lot of computer skills. Uh, and phone skills. So I look for those things, but it's it's not an easy job. Is it's like a very thankless job. You know, you didn't if you did it fast, cheap, fast and cheap, it wasn't fast enough and cheap enough, you know? And if yeah. you don't do it, and if you don't do it fast and cheap, then oh my God, the sky's falling, right? And so for someone who's making a um an average wage to do something like that, it's a lot of uh it's a lot of stress. So someone who can be even keeled, um and that can be organized and have phone skills and computer skills is probably the four things I look for. And I will say, uh, you know, I'm not going to shame, I guess I'm going to shamelessly plug Brandon group right now, but we are hiring and we do have quite a few veterans that work for us. And if you guys uh, are looking for a job, we do uh, hire remotes. You're more than welcome to uh, submit a resume to careers at branded group.com. And uh, we will definitely review it. And like I said, we, we do love working with the veteran community. So that's awesome. Thank you for putting that out there. Um, and I'll definitely get links up on the show notes for, uh, for people to apply there. Um, you started a podcast too, and I, I got to be a guest on that podcast, uh, uh, not long ago. I, I think you guys just published it last week. Um, what made you decide to, to start a podcast? What's the podcast about and, and, uh, how can people listen to it? Yeah. So, uh, we, so when we when I opened the company, our motto, as you can see behind my head, is it says be better, be humble, be honest, be altruistic, be dedicated, be adaptable. You can't see it all because my camera's mm-hmm. cutting it off. But be better was our motto, our tagline from day one. Because when we left the old company, we were like, we can do this better, we can be better. And so we came up with four tenets that we really wanted to hit drive home, which was be better to our clients, be better to our subcontractors be better to our employees and be better to our community. And so we do that uh, through different ways of being transparent, open communication, honesty. Uh, you know, we do a lot of give backs. We, we, we partner with Habitat for Humanity. We partner with Feeding America. Uh, we partner with Orange Coast Keepers, which is a beach cleanup service out here in Orange County. And so um, we built this big culture around the tenants, right? And we started, uh, just doing these givebacks, like I said, through those uh, th- those uh, nonprofits, and we got a couple others. We got the the Priority Center, which is a, a great near and dear to my heart uh, uh, nonprofit out here in, in Orange County. Um, but we we built this great uh, culture, and we had a retention rate of 90, 95 percent pre pandemic, right? And uh, 
we had people that just, they just wanted to stay. They didn't want to leave. They, they, they took less money. We gave them a purpose. They didn't take less money, but if they got offered a job for more money, they would turn that job down to stay with us because they didn't want to leave. And they, and we gave them a purpose. And anyone out there that does any research on the millennial workforce knows that millennials will take less money to be at a place that gives them purpose for their, for what they're doing in their lives. So, uh, yeah, so we started like really getting recognized for our culture. Like I started ask, getting asked to be on people's other people's podcasts, and I started at getting uh, we started winning awards. Great place to work, Inc. Five Thousand, top top uh, fastest growing companies, and we've won those awards four years straight for both of those. Um, we've won you know many other awards as well, but those are the two big ones that we've won four years in a row that we're very proud of. And uh, you, you know, you, great place to work is if you don't know about it, you can't win that award without your employees. They, they, they basically fill out a survey. And if they don't, if they say, Oh, this place sucks, you guys aren't getting a great place to work. I can't just like write a check for $500 and fill out some questionnaire. Like my employees right. have to be engaged. So, um, so I started getting recognized and we had, and then I started doing all these LinkedIn things on culture, these like articles and my PR team, uh, Jennifer Bernheim, who you know, Eric's wife, uh, started saying podcast, you got to start, you got to do a podcast, you got to do a podcast. So at first I was like, I don't want to do a podcast. I don't have anything to say. I don't want to create any content just to create content, but we actually had a lot of good content. So we started talking about the be better podcast. And I'll tell you, like we're, we just hit our 50th episode and uh, it's all about your be Now it's morphed into your be better story, which you participated in that which you told your story, which is how you went from where you were to where you are now. And mm-hmm. your story in general, I hope you've told your audience your whole story vulnerably yeah. because it's, it's such a great, you know, inspiration. And so we take other people like yourself, Chris, and we bring them on and, and we get their story. I'll tell you the early years, the first like 20 episodes, maybe you don't want to go back and listen to those from cover to cover. Those, <laughs> those are me learning how to be a podcast guy, but uh, there's still some good, there's still some good material in there, but like, we were talking a lot about gratitude and, and, uh, and just, I was basically interviewing a lot of my friends, but now we're really on to the be better story. And like, what, what makes you, you know, what have you done to be better and what's inspirational so we can share that. And it's really, I feel like our niche, I, I really love where the podcast is going now. We, like I said, uh, uh, Javon McCormick, check him out. Like I just had him on after you. So even if you don't want to get the book, just listen to the, his story on the podcast. It was, uh, it was really great. It's great. Life-changing stuff. So. That's awesome. And, th- and that goes back to something else too. Um, you know, you don't have to be good at something the first time you do it. Right. And like, I remember when I first started this podcast, like I literally woke up one day and said, Hey, I want to start a podcast. And like literally just pulled out my computer and just started recording and right. didn't own nothing like that. If you listen to that, the first like 20 episodes, they're horrible. Um, but, uh, but kept <laughs> at it and, and, you know, still do it, still do it all the time. And I think, you know, what you want to do is you want to find a few things that you can get good at and focus on getting good at those and, and work through the, the awkwardness, work through the boredom, work through all the, the shit that other people don't want to do. And, and you might find something that that's awesome. And, and, you know, um, your show's awesome. Listen to a, a, quite a few episodes actually. And, and, uh, I think you're doing great work there. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. And, uh, another shameless plug it's up on, uh, 
you know, all your, anywhere you can find a, a podcast. Uh, it's the Be Better podcast with Michael Curland. It's on Apple, Spotify. We just got on like Stitcher. I don't even know what that is, but yeah. apparently that's good. <laughs> and like podcast, uh, whatever, anywhere you can find your podcast, it's there. So that's awesome. And I'll get Check links to that up on the show notes as well. Cool. Um, well, Mike, what, if, uh, what, what's a question that um, you wish I'd asked you over the past 30 minutes? Oh, man, you got some good ones today. I wasn't prepared for that. Uh, <laughs> what's a question that I wish you asked me over the last 30 minutes? I don't, I think one thing, one thing that I would have liked to, would like to touch on would be mental health, right? Because I think mm-hmm. that's a good thing for yeah. your audience to hear. So I wish you asked me something about mental health. So can I just ask my own self the question? Yeah, go ahead, man. Yeah. Like, so there's such a stigma around mental health, right? Uh, you know, if you go to, you're, you're a wuss, if you go to therapy or you're a wuss, if you go to couples therapy, right. Or you're, 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 you're not strong. And then the military teaches you like, be strong. You can't, hmm. you cannot like let someone break you, but there is nothing wrong. It's the, it's actually the biggest showing of self-love that you can give yourself is to go to therapy. If you have some sort of PTSD or mental thing going on, or you just don't feel right, or you feel upset, you feel like something's just off, go to therapy. That's what those professionals are paid for. And they will listen to you and they will help you figure out what's going on. Now, and I'm not saying they'll solve, they'll solve all your problems, but they'll get you feeling a little bit better than you felt before you got there. And I think that's what everyone's trying to do at, at the end of the day. So that, that's awesome. That, does that, does that count? No, that's, uh, that's such an important note. I mean, um, you know, we, we have this, this brain of ours and it's, you know, the most complex biological mechanism ever created, but doesn't come with a, an operating manual or anything like that, you know, and, and, uh, sometimes you find yourself in a negative situation mentally and, and, you know, it, it it's not weak to seek help. Um, and that's a big reason why this podcast exists. It's a big reason why we as a veteran community have the support groups that we do. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's important for all of us to realize that. So, so thank you for bringing that up. Cool. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, how can our audience help you out? Where can they follow you? Where can, uh, where, where can they find you on the interwebs? Uh, the website's www.branded, B-R-A-N-D-E-D hyphen group.com. Uh, we're, I'm on LinkedIn, My, Michael Curland. You can look me up, you know, connect with me. I'd be happy to connect with anybody. Um, and like I said, the, the podcast is a Be Better podcast with Michael Curland. And again, if you guys have a resume, we do hire remote. We'll teach you the skills. Uh, if you guys, you know, want to apply, it's careers at branded-group.com. Outstanding. Outstanding. Well, Mike, man, I just want to acknowledge you one more time. Uh, like I said, I, I've got a lot of respect for you, a lot of respect for what you've accomplished. Uh, and, uh, you know, thank you for being uh, one of my best friends for, for a long time. Uh, was uh, I think it's over, what is it? It's way over 30, 35 years. Th- right? Yeah, 30, 36 years. I, if I had to guess, 36 years. That's insane, man. Yeah, That's man. Insane. insane, dude. I appreciate you. I really love what you're doing. Uh, I've always loved what you what you've been doing, and I'm really happy that you're in Florida now and and doing what you're doing down there and continuing to do all the good stuff still uh, on the side hustle. So, kudos, brother. 
Thank you, brother. To everybody out there, I hope you got a lot out of this episode. Like I said, I'll get all the links up to Mike's stuff, to the branded group, to the Be Better podcast, to his social media up on the show notes. And, you know, take these lessons to heart. Um, you know, apply them, take action in your lives and get out there and live your best lives while you can. This is Chris Albert and Mike Curland, and we are out.